turn to 1 John chapter 3 with me. Last week, Chase preached through verse 10. Tonight's verses are 11 through 15, but we're going we're gonna to pick up the transition verse in verse 10. So we'll include that because verse 11 is a transition statement. That's a transition word at the very beginning that is based off of what John just said. So we want to make sure that we, as we take this verse by verse and, and pretty specifically um, try to break down the argument of what John is saying across the board, we want to make sure that we continue to keep things in context and reminding ourselves of what John has just finished saying. And so beginning in verse 10, let's read this text together and then we'll dive right in. Father, thank you so much for your word. Just remind ourselves again that people have laid down their lives for the preservation of what we hold so freely and easily tonight. And we want to study to show ourselves work men and work women well-approved, rightly handling the word of truth. Lord, everyone who has a Bible practices some kind of interpretation. We have lens, a lens that we look through in order to read the scripture. We have a lot of presuppositions, a lot of traditions, a lot of background, a lot of comforts. Uh, and it's not always easy to just take the word for what it is and let it expose us. And tonight's text especially has the tendency to make Christian-y people kind of have this mentality of, I'm good. And that's the exact audience that John is trying to wake up with these verses in order to see the seriousness of sin and the desperation we ought to have to kill it. So Lord, I ask that our time tonight um, would not be trivial, but that we would stretch our minds, um, that we would, by your grace, have ears to hear, eyes to see, that we would labor against distraction, that we would labor to follow John's argument and, and what this text is saying, that we would be honest with ourselves, be honest with our sin, that we would be honest with the need for correction. And, oh God, that you would give us, by the Spirit and your grace, the desire and therefore the ability to actually change and conform to your Son and your will. It's a mighty task, Lord. It's one that you have commanded of us. It is not optional for the believer. And so we humble ourselves before that task. And we plead to you for your grace and your power to be able to complete what you have commanded. And God, I thank you that, as John is going to say in a couple chapters, these commands... Everything you've been saying through John here, he's going to finish by saying these are not burdensome. They need not be burdensome. In fact, just reminding you, I'm writing these things for your joy. 
All the warnings for your joy. So help us not to be overwhelmed in the sense of being immobilized or paralyzed with fear. But rather, God, help us to have this reverential, worshipful awe and then gratitude. Because you have begun a good work in us and you will complete that good work. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, First John chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. John says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. The implication there is you're of the devil, right? Nor is the one who does not love his brother. So, if you don't practice righteousness, you're of the devil. And if you don't love your brother, you're of the devil. And then he picks up, here's this important word, for. For, we're, we're picking up exactly what he said. He's carrying that sentence and then he's making the statement. This is the message, what I just said. What John's saying, what I just said is the message you've heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. And then he gives this pretty drastic example. In other words, don't be like Cain. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides, there's that important word, in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. All right, so verse 11. This is the message. He's picking back up, right? Everyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is one who does not love his brother. For that is the message that you've heard from the beginning. And then he sums it up by saying... Instead of continuing the, the process of righteousness, he says, this is the message, the message that you've heard from the beginning. Love one another. And in fact, John, if, if you've been following along and, and tracking, and if you've read 1 John on your own several times, you know that that statement, this is the message, he uses often. And he, he puts a lot of different things after. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. So just to remind you of a couple of these things, in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, this is the message that you heard from the beginning. Then he talks about Christ. And then he summarizes in verse 5, uh, this is the message, this gospel of Christ is the message that you've heard from the beginning. God is light. God is light. And then verse 6 says, if anyone says he has fellowship with God, if anyone says he's living in the light, yet he's practicing righteousness, he's a liar. He's not practicing the truth. And then he continues on. This is no new commandment that I give you. And he says in the beginning of chapter 2, I'm, I'm writing this message to you so that you do not sin. We'll come back to that. Live in the light, verse 7. Live in God. Love your brother. Here's this continuity. Let the word abide in you. This is the message that you've heard. Chapter 2, verse 24. And uh, Chase, can you go pull me back? Yeah, just a little bit. Then chapter 3, here we have verse 11. Here's another. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Now, some people, like when they, uh, you know, one of my favorite authors repeats himself. A lot. It's one of the, the common things I hear from, from people who don't necessarily like this one author that I read often. And it just repeats himself all the time. It's like every chapter, 
he's just saying the same thing he said from the previous chapter, and I, I totally disagree. He's actually building an argument. And, and, and a good author, a good writer, a good teacher actually doesn't have a bunch of messages. That, that's actually confusing. It leads people astray. A good teacher, a good author, a good writer comes in and says, here's the message. And what I'm going to do is, the, the, this is the thesis, and the whole point of the book is that I want to show you this message from about a hundred different angles. And when you can see this big message that I'm saying, from all these different angles, all these different circumstances and perspectives, what I'm trying to say will become more and more clear. And so John is not repeating himself here just for the sake of filling out words. Remember, these are spirit-inspired words. Every single one of them, right? right? Every jot, every iota is, is, iota is very specifically placed so that Christ would then fulfill it. Spirit-inspired. Men were carried about by the Holy Spirit. Rather, what John is trying to do is show the central message from dozens of different perspectives. So God is light. Abide in light. Abide in God. Don't abide in darkness. Because if you abide in darkness, you're not in the light. Which means you don't practice the truth. Which means you're not born of God. Which means you're of the devil. Which means you won't have life. It means you're going to have death. Which means you won't experience true love. You'll experience Hatred, you see, so he's giving all these different perspectives. And I'm writing this so that you may have joy and not sin. Not so that you can take your freedom and abuse whatever you want and live in sin and experience death and, and deceitful desire. So John's doing a really good job here of not repeating himself, but building the argument. And he gives us even this even more specific view by giving for the first time, and the only time in First John, an Old Testament reference. This is the only time in 1 John there's an Old Testament reference. And this example is pretty drastic. <laughs> he gives the example of Cain and Abel. And he says, Cain, right? So he's, again, this is the message. Abide here. Don't do this. Cain did this. This is what Cain did. Cain did not love his brother. He killed him. He murdered him. And, and in fact, John says that Cain was of, and, and actually the, the word in the Greek means Cain came out of, out of the evil one. Now this doesn't mean obviously that Satan birthed Cain, but what he's saying is in the same way that he said in 1 John chapter 2, you have people who have the spirit of God, you have those who have the spirit of the Antichrist, or, the, or, or children of the devil. Jesus referred to this in John chapter 8 verse 44 when Jesus said, you are of your father the devil... Your will is to do your father's desires. This is everyone not in Christ. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. So when, when you hear he came out of the evil one, John, who was really close with Christ, would have remembered Jesus saying these words in John chapter 8, right? You have your father, the devil. Your will is through your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. Do not, he does not stand in the truth. He's in this darkness. And this is why John mentions in 1 John chapter 2, be in the light. Because if you're not, you're of the devil who's a murderer and a liar. And there's death. And this was Cain. Cain, 
was of his father, the devil, came out of the evil one. And so for, for a Christian, imagine, you know, this is written to a church. And it, imagine, like, me taking, uh, and by the way, you know, there's a persecution happening. So imagine, like, we were to take maybe 75 of the most spiritual people of Cornerstone, right? This, this would be a stupid exercise, but, like, if I called what I thought were the 75 most spiritual people, again, a really stupid exercise, and have them come in and be like, I've just received, you know, word from the Lord, I'm going to tell you. And I was to look at these 75 devoted believers risking their lives for Christ, bearing these, you know, images of fruit and their uh, pers- being persecuted and they're sharing with each other and all these different types of things. And I was to say to them, hey, some of you are not of God. You're of the devil. You're going to walk out. Stop abiding in darkness. If you, if you give in to sin, you will die. Don't hate. You're a murderer. Like, John, the audience here isn't the Romans. It's not the unbelievers. He's saying this to a church, and there's unbelievers in the midst who are professing believers. And he gives this drastic example of Cain. It's like he's saying, hey, church, abide in God, love one another. Here's how you do it. Don't murder each other. Like, it, it seems like this, like, we got there really fast. Like, if, if the essence of, you know, the message on Sunday, this coming week, it was like, here's how you will love one another. You ready, church? One word. Just don't murder each other. And everyone would kind of be like, all right, that's all it takes. Don't be like Cain. Don't kill my brother. All right, I'm in Christ. I'm, I'm in the light. And John actually means, wait a second. Let's put some deep thought here. Again, it's the only time he mentions the Old Testament. So he means for his readers to go, okay, Genesis 4. What happened? He's saying Cain was of the evil one. He just warned in 1 John 2 that there's going to be people among us who will leave because they're of the devil. Wait a second. We need to do some reflection here, some deep thinking. He's talking to us. And he's saying what John is saying. This is powerful. That actually, literally, the answer isn't that big of a drastic example of, hey, love one another, here's how you do it. Don't murder. It seems drastic, he means it to be drastic, but that's actually the point of what he's trying to say. So let's, let's do some serious thinking, let's find out what John is saying. In verse 13... John asks a very important question. Why did Cain kill Abel? Why did Cain kill Abel? John says it was because Cain's deeds were evil. Abel's deeds were righteous. We know that that's referring to the offering they brought and then how they responded, specifically how Cain responded. But let's look specifically at the story. So flip with me to John, or I'm sorry, John, Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 4. Verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bore Cain. Here's the first child. This is important, the story. Cain's the first child born, first one born out of woman. Again, she bore his brother, Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, 
Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel. He approved his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. He disapproved of it. So Cain was very angry, or according to 1 John, he had hatred, right? And his hatred though it was towards God too, was towards his brother as well. His face fell. The Lord said to Cain, here's the question that John asked in 1 John, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Boy, that sounds like 1 John. Doesn't it? Sin is crouching at the door. (laughs) If you do well, you'll be accepted. Come to the light. Abide in God. If you don't, sin's crouching at the door. Right? Don't make a practice of sinning. This leads to death. It's desires for you. You must rule over it. That's 1 John. Verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And and by the way, John would say a resounding yes to that. You are your brother's keeper, right? That's actually how we know that we're of God, that we love one another, love our brother. Specifically, the, the Greek word is not like family. It's not a family love. And it's not like you love people. You actually, specifically, the command here is that you love the other saints, This is who John is saying, right? Yeah, you are your brother's keeper. Go read Hebrews. Stirring up one another. Exhorting one another. Not being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You think of uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Philippians talking about building and maintaining this unity, which Paul is going to get into as well. Galatians, same thing. You are to love the, the saints. And so here we have Cain kills Abel. Am I my brother's keeper? And then he's cursed. So God accepts, if we summarize, Abel's offering of righteousness rejects Cain. Cain is angry. God asks him, why are you angry? You don't need to be cast off. Don't be envious, Cain. Don't compare yourself to Abel. Don't fall into sin. Do well. Come into the light. You'll be accepted. But if you don't, sin is crouching at the door. It wants to destroy you, so rule over it. Or it will rule over you. And Cain's response is, I think I'll murder my brother. Now we would, here's the problem. The first problem is we would look at Cain and go, what a maniac. Just like we look at Eve and go, why did she do that? And if you do that, you're missing the whole point. Because Paul says in Romans, right, Adam is the representative of mankind. If you were Adam, you would have eaten the fruit. That's what the Bible's teaching. It's the sin that he gave into. He was tempted by the devil. And then all of a sudden you have sin has entered in the world. And not only are we Adam, not only are we Eve, we are Cain. That's actually apart from Christ what John is trying to say. You are Cain. If you were Cain and not of God's chosen, you would have done this. This is what you would have done. You would have killed. And we're going to talk about why. John is giving his readers the same warning that God gave Cain. Sin's crouching at the door. Remember, he's writing these things so that you may not sin. Not go on sinning. Sin 
does not rest. It is always crouching at the door. J.C. Ryle, another one of my favorite authors, says that our enemy is restless. The devil is restless. He never sleeps. He's always going about as a roaring lion. Every fresh act of sin lessens fear and remorse. Every fresh act of sin hardens our hearts. Every fresh act of sin blunts the edge of our conscience. Every fresh act of sin increases our evil inclination. Sin is not neutral, right? There is no just like kind of coasting in the middle. You are either ruling over sin in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and God's grace, or you are being ruled by sin. And that is what J.C. Ryle is saying. That's what John is saying. That's what the Lord is saying to Cain. Don't be neutral here. There's a big chasm. You are either going to follow me or you're going to kill your brother. What are you going to do? Because th there is no middle. I'll just stay angry at him. No, no, no. He's showing this is what's about to happen. You're going to follow me. You'll be accepted. Or you're going to kill your brother. And Cain, under God's providence, killed his brother. So you might think about this story and John's passage here. Look, I'm not going to murder anyone. Okay? I'm not. And I would hope that none of you would murder him. And, and by the way, we're going to talk about how you know, hatred in the heart is murder. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Although we would all argue, uh, like for me personally, I would rather my neighbor hate me than kill me. Right? So, so the, you know, the direct results and consequences of those sins is obviously different. But God wants to make something very, very clear according to his scripture about the seriousness of sin here. I want to try to explain the depths of what John is trying to say with, an, uh, with a story that Warren Wearsby tells. There's a story of a zookeeper, okay, who oversees the lions in the zoo and a visitor. So here you have this visitor who walks into this zoo and he walks up to the lion keeper and he goes, oh, look at these lions. And the visitor says, I've got, I've got a cat at home. <laughs> Already, by the way, if you have a cat at home, God means to sanctify you and your decisions tonight. I'm sorry, juice and tats. <laughs> no, but this typical visitor, you know the cat lovers, they're always talking about their cats. So here this, this, this cat lady, I presume it's a cat lady, is at the zoo, sees the lions, oh, I have cats at home too. Your lions act just like my cat. Look at them sleeping so peacefully. It seems a shame that you have to put those beautiful creatures behind bars. And the lion keeper looks at the visitor and says, these may look like your cat, but their disposition is radically different. There is murder in their hearts. You'd better be glad there are bars there. Be glad that these lions with murder in their hearts are behind bars. They are not like your cats. You can't see it in that moment because they're resting and they're peaceful and they're cuddly and they're not harming anybody. They're in this nice environment. It's all been staged, right? He goes on to say the only reason some people have never actually murdered anyone is because of the bars that have been put up. Meaning this. Fear of arrest or shame. How many people you think would have murdered somebody if it wasn't for fear of arrest or shame? Or penalty of the law, even possibly the death penalty. So you look at a situation, and that's why Jesus says, if you have anger, hatred in your heart towards someone, what you're saying is, if I could, I would kill you. That's actually the point of what Jesus is saying about the sin in our hearts. If I could let this sin run wild, you would be done with. 
That's the danger of lust. That's the danger of greed. In fact, think about this aspect of bars, and we can play this out into history and even the world today and say, yeah, this is, this is proven, actually. The fewer bars, the wilder the sin. The top ten countries in the world with the highest murder rate are nations with organized crime and massive gaps between the rich and the poor, mainly because of a lack of infrastructure. The countries with the weakest governments, the weakest infrastructure, no real democracy, no court, no law, those places with the fewest bars are the ones that have the highest murders per capita. It's, it's because there's more freedom to run with your sin. Right? I mean, you actually see it today with how abortion has gone. They, they're removing bars. Right? I mean, what would have been atrocious at one point in the beginning of the United States is now it's one of the biggest banners of acceptance and pride that you can find in America. Over 1.2 million babies every single year. And, and it's, it's like there's no moral conscience about it. It's being celebrated. Death. And that's what happens when you remove bars. That's what's happening in the countries where there's the most murder. This is what the Lord said to Cain. And this is what John is saying to the church today. So here's here's how you apply this. If you go, I'm not going to murder anybody. John, what's the next verse? John actually wants you to stop. And he's talking specifically to you. Wait a second. Wait a second. The question is not so much, what did you do? But rather, what did you want to do? Or... Maybe even deeper than that, what would you do if there were no bars? Or, I'll ask it a different way. I want you right now in your head to think of specific sins in your life. Think about it. Take, take 20 seconds. Find three specific sins that you struggle with. I got mine. It's easy. It's crouching at the door, right? <laughs> I like... I'll, all of us, all we got to do is go, it's right there. Just crap, chirp, chirp, right? Think of these sins. Now, let me ask you a question. What would you do with those sins if there were no bars and you could do just as you pleased? Think about that. That's the gut check. That's a, that's a sobering question. That's a sobering question. In my sin nature, right? Okay? In my sin nature, apart from the control of the Holy Spirit, the sovereignty of God in my life, in my sinful nature. So say, so let's take non-believers who don't have the Holy Spirit. If you were to go to somebody and say, what's one of the biggest things you struggle with that you think is morally wrong? And I were to say, hey, it's not morally wrong anymore. You can do whatever you want. What would they do? What would be the extent of that sin? Greed would turn to outright robbery and theft. Anger would be full-blown murder. Lustful thoughts would turn into full-blown adultery. In fact, as John notes in verse 15, and Jesus even mentioned in the Sermon on the Mount, to sin in your heart is to fully engage in the actual sin. And the reason why he says that is because hate 
hatred towards a brother is murder. It is, because if it was left unchecked with no bars, you would murder. That's what Cain did, not being of faith. He had a faithless offering, right? Abel had a faith-filled offering. Cain did not. Cain was of the enemy, of the evil one. And so therefore, no bars, no regard for God. And think about Cain. There's no government. There's no written law yet. There's no court. It is Cain, Abel, mom, and dad. They're the only four human beings. Cain is out in the field. Nobody's going to tattle on him. He has no regard for God. There's no bars. And what does he do? I hate my brother. I'm going to kill him. That's what happens. That is sin unchecked. That's what John is saying. I mean, this is why John is saying, kill your sin. Kill your sin. Our tendency here is to compromise, right? Belittle our sin, act like we have things under control. What, what a deception. I've got it under control. Right? I'll, ask, I'll ask a question back about your sin, okay? So think about a sin maybe that you, maybe you're actively engaged in a sin or habitual sin, right? And I were to say, um, okay, do you know it's sinful? Yes. Do you think you should stop? Yes. Do you think you can stop at any time? This is the biggest lie. Yeah, I can. And you'd want to go what? Okay, do it, right? Do it. Stop sinning. Stop, right? Hey, stop sinning. You know, just stop sinning. And, and we would go, well, yeah, I can, at least I want to. I just don't want to right now, <laughs> right? And you're going, exactly. It's ruling you. <laughs> you can't. You can't stop because your desires is to engage in the depths of sin. And John is saying, warning, warning, warning. If you go on practicing sinning, you're, you're not in the light. You are not born of God. You're born of the devil. And if this sin is left unchecked, look at the path of people who live the day. Ooh, downward spiral. You cannot stop at any time you please. Your desires dictate what you're doing, which is why John is saying, abide in God, abide in this message, which is why we have the hope of the gospel that God will not lose any of his own. And by the way, we're going to get to the gospel part of it in just a second. But as I mentioned, our tendency is to compromise and belittle our sin, act like we have things under control. But I want, I want to paint using words John has used so far, this wide chasm, lest you think there can be this room for a gray. Ready? John has said, abide in the light, not the dark. Okay? Light leads to life. Darkness leads to death. In God is light. The devil is of the darkness. You either have the spirit of God or you have 1 John chapter 2 and 4, the spirit of the Antichrist. You will either love your brother or you will murder your brother. This is the argument that he has been building now for three chapters. Now, I want to ask you a question. In those words, in those two sides, and in what John has said so far in 1 John, do you see any gray area? Any wiggle room of compromise? None. No, there, there is, there's no like light, darkness, and like shadows. Like, you know, evening. There's no like God, the devil, and Oprah. Right? There, there, is, 
There is, there is no love and murder and just eh, postmodernism. There is no middle ground here. John, John is trying to warn you to say, wait, stop it, stop it. Don't look, don't be passive here. Do not be passive. You will either be killing your sin and prove that you're in the light, or sin will be ruling over you. And as John Owen says, be killing sin or sin will kill you. This is what John is trying to say. John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, I'm sorry. Chase preached it last week. Look at verse, um, no, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 6. Chase preached this last week. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Then look at verse 8 through 10. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. This is how it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And that's why then John says in verse 11, this is the message that I've been telling you this whole time. It's the message from the beginning. There is no middle ground here. You're either Abel or you're Cain. Don't be passive. Now the gospel is freeing here, right? 2 Corinthians 3, when one turns to the Lord... The veil is removed, praise the Lord. Right? Thank, thank the Lord for Jesus who fulfilled the law, died the death we deserve, took on the wrath of God, gave us eternal life. Right? Praise, I mean, praise the Lord. That's, that is the hope that, you, that is in these verses. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is the message of Christ. Christ, Christ, Christ. Because of Christ, you can be here. And because of Christ, you can be sure that you can never be here. This is Praise the Lord for this. You can never be here and go from here to there. God preserves those whom he's placed right there in Christ. You will not continue to keep on sinning and practice sin and become better and better at sin. You will not be indifferent. You will be killing sin. Will you fall? Will you stray? Yes, but those are warnings, warnings, warnings. Kill the sin. God has done that here. When one turns to the Lord, the spirit of the Lord, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom, yes. Amen, Peter. Peter's right here. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But what does Paul say in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 through 15? You were called to freedom, brothers only. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, here's how you don't abuse your freedom. Serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, he says. If you're going to bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. You know know what the connotation there is? The end game of being consumed? Death. Murder. Murder. That's the extreme. So serve one another. Love one another. Use your freedom as an opportunity, not for the flesh, but for righteousness. It's a continuation of what John said in the previous chapter about those. Remember 1 John chapter 2? They went out from among you. Do you remember that? And so proved that they were not of you. In fact, the reason they went out from among you is to show that they were not of you. 
So John has already warned in the previous chapter, there will be people who are professing believers who will walk away from the church and so prove to have never been of God. And then he's saying in 1 John chapter 3, Cain is the example. There are Cains among you. Why? Did you, did you notice the story in Genesis chapter 4? What was it that brought the anger? What did Cain do? Tell me. What did Cain do before he killed his brother? What did he do? He came to God and what? He, provo- he presented an offering. He, he was worshiping God. Cain, who was the brother of Abel, the son of Adam and Eve, knew God, is offering him an act of worship. He was among them, 1 John chapter 2. And then he went out from among them, 1 John chapter 2, to show that he was not of God. He was of the devil. John, John is showing what he just said in 1 John chapter 2. Cain, Cain's the example of the one who went out from among you. Don't, don't, don't be passive about your sin. So how do we respond? Because the Lord says to Cain, don't be angry. And John says, don't continue in sin. Rule over it. It's crouching at the door. And the answer is love. Now, I'm about to close, okay? Next week, in verses 16 through 17, you get this beautiful, practical application of what it means to love the body. Chase is going to be preaching on that. I want to highlight a few things of love, and then really we're going to get to the nitty-gritty of small groups. Chapter 2, verse 5. John says, love keeps God's word. Chapter 2, verse 10, John said that love abides in the light. It does not cause stumbling in the same verse. Chapter 3, verse 10, love practices righteousness. So John has already said, love keeps God's word. It doesn't cause stumbling. It abides in the light and it's practicing righteousness. So love is obedience. It's worshipful obedience. It's faith-filled obedience. faith fueled obedience that is seeking the glory of God and then God's love pours over them into them and through them in the way they serve one another that you cannot love your brothers if you're not loving God so John's saying this is what this is what love looks like you're, you're abiding in God and if you do this first John chapter 1 verse 3 15 then verse 16 is easy Verse 16 and 17 is the natural overflow and response of you are abiding in God God's love abides in you Galatians 6.10 says, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. John 13 and 15 says we ought to love one another as God has loved us, sacrificially. Romans 12.10, show family affection to one another. Romans 13.8 says love fulfills the law. Ephesians 4 says love is full of humility and gentleness and patience. 1 Thessalonians 3 says we ought to be increasing in this love. Hebrews 10 says love promotes good works. Stirs the affections of others. 1 Peter 4 says there is a maintenance factor of this love. It's hard work. Right? I'm not easy to love. Think I'm blind to that? Right, AJ? (laughs) I'm not easy to love. Neither are you. (laughs) None of us are easy to love. There's a maintenance, a humility, a patience, a stirring of good works. And we have to be actively engaged here. Because sin is crouching at the door. And this is, this is the beauty of what John says. Don't be Cain. 
don't continue to sin because then you're proving to be a son of the devil. I, I mean, your soul is at stake, John is saying. You are either of God and will have life, or you're of the devil and you will eternally perish. There isn't, there, there's no purgatory here. There's no middle ground. But then he says, so here's how you show that you belong to God. Love one another. Now, you ready for this? <laughs> the number one way you love somebody in scripture among the brethren is by helping them fight against the sin that's crouching at the door. That, I mean, the most beautiful part about this is, is, hey, every single one of you have got a lot of sin going. Give in to that anger, baby. Come on. Give in to that lustful thought. Come on. Come on. Give in to that greed. Give in to that laziness. And John says, serve one another. And the serving is fight against that sin with your brothers and sisters. Fight against the sin. This is why, this is why the pastor in Hebrews says, don't neglect to meet together. Stir up one another to good works because you cannot love one another and help kill sin if you're absent from each other. This is why the pastor says in Hebrews 3, lest there be any evil, unbelieving heart in you causing you to fall away, exhort one another as long as it is called today. Sin's crouching at the door and we are actively engaged in each other's sanctification. And so John says, listen, Abide in the light. Don't abide in darkness. Practice, obey righteousness. Don't practice and obey sin, okay? The key here is your love, your emotions, your desires, your delight for the things of God. And as you fight this battle, here's the command I give you. And this is why the command is not burdensome. Here's how you do this. The whole law is fulfilled with this. You want to kill sin? You want to obey God's Ten Commandments? You want to obey God's law? Love and serve one another so that you can stir up one another, keep each other accountable to help fulfill God's law. It's beautiful. I can't kill my sin by myself. I need desperately God's grace and Holy Spirit, and that is sufficient. But God has chosen as a means that we see in Scripture to give me Pat Gorys and Chase Evans and Juice Dotsons and J.J. Baileys and Tess Dotsons and Abby Rundles and Reagan Hoopers to help go... The sin is barking extra loud today. Let's walk over there and just drop kick it in the face. Amen to that. Let's drop kick the snot out of our sin in the face. I'm going to pray and then we're going to go to small groups. One more thing. I lied. Oh, now do you want to know why disunity is so destructive? Right? This is why division and disunity in the body is where the devil goes, oh, yes. Now the sin can sneak in from the door. Because if I don't have, if, if they're not serving one another and helping kill sin, if they're fighting at each other, they're just enabling each other's sin. We need to love one another. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus, our Savior, who 
was the only one who completely drop kicked sin in the face. I don't mean that in jest. I mean that in all of its beauty, crushed the head of the serpent. And thank you that that Christ, our faithful, merciful, great high priest, can sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he resisted sin to the point of shedding blood. As he chastises me, I can kill sin in the power of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then thank you that you have called us into a body that despite all of our differences can love one another because of the great love with which you have loved us. And we can help each other kill sin together. You will build your church. You will build your saints. You will build up your people and the gates of hell. All of the sin crouching at the door and the enemy will not prevail over your kingdom and your people. When each member is working properly, building itself up in love. And so God, help us to maintain the unity of the bond of peace. Help us to see every sin in our life and say, if this was set free from bars, oh, it would kill. Oh, God, help me to hate hatred. This lust would fester and remove the bars. Full-blown adultery. Oh, God, help me to kill this sin. Help us to know that in our flesh, we are no different than Cain. But in Christ, we can defeat our sin. And find great joy in doing so, in living for you, practicing righteousness. Help us to do so, God, by your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.